the caste system. It divides society into four distinct levels, determined by the family you're born into. Though today the caste system is officially illegal, its legacy is still very much alive. For those who find themselves destined for this lowest class, often called Dalits, life brings limits. Where they can go, what they must do to earn their pay, how they're perceived and treated, even who they're allowed to touch. Today, we travel to India and Nepal, to discover the inspiring work of Karuna Trust, where they're reaching the most vulnerable with life-changing opportunities, helping to bring education, dignified livelihoods, and gender equality to the Dalits. Teaching the skills and the mindset needed to push past those cultural barriers. On this edition of The Edge of Adventure, Sudaka and Sanganath join me from Karuna Trust to talk compassion, the kind that goes beyond status quo, the kind that believes that no matter what history or tradition might suggest, no one is untouchable. This is where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Adam Asher, and you are listening to another edition of the Edge of Adventure podcast. It's great to have you. And today we're going to be focusing on two countries, the countries of India and Nepal, and an organization that works with the people there doing a very important thing, a very important work. We're going to be finding out about that today. Karuna Trust is our focus. And joining me from Karuna Trust right now, I have two gentlemen on the line, Sudhika and Sanganath. We will uh, start with you, Sudhika. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Adam. Thanks. And Sanganath as well. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. So you guys are joining from actually two different locations. I'm, of course, right now in my headquarters of Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States. Uh, Sudhika, you are in what city right now? In London, yeah. And Sanganat, you are joining us from? I'm in Cambridge. So great to have you on the show. Sudhika, Karuna Trust, if you were to introduce this to someone, and give them a good understanding, the overview of what Karuna Trust does and the importance of the work that you do, how would you say it? How would you uh, convey that to somebody hearing it for the first time? Karuna Trust has been working for about 40 years, particularly with communities in India and more recently Nepal, affected by um, issues to do with caste discrimination. So we were founded 40 years ago as part of a Buddhist movement to work with Buddhists primarily in India who were part of what's known as the Ambedkarite Buddhist community. So people who converted to Buddhism 
in the 1950s, 60s and 70s to get away from the the discrimination and the, the, the disadvantages of the, the caste system. Since then, we've grown and developed. I think we're now a sort of medium-sized international organisation working in different countries, but we always work with communities that are affected by caste discrimination. And we're a Buddhist organisation, so we're linked to an international Buddhist movement called the Tree Ratna Buddhist Community. That's Sudaka joining us here on the Edge of Adventure from Karuna Trust, and Sangana is also on the line. Sangana, let me let me ask you something here. Of course, we're just starting off this conversation. There's lots to to delve into. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, but help me and help the audience understand what discrimination is. This caste discrimination that Sudaka mentioned. What is it, and how bad is it? It's very difficult to explain the caste discrimination, actually. But um, I was born in India, in southwest of India, if you know, uh, Goa or Mumbai, you know, between that. I, I grew up in a small village uh, in India, and basically I was grew up there. And I was um, born in uh, lower caste communities. If you're familiar with caste system, caste system is divided into four classes, if you like. And I was, I was uh, born in bottom of the caste. Basically, once you're born in the bottom of the caste, you will remain in the bottom of the caste, regardless you are educated, You regardless how much you money got, how much property you got, you will be discriminated because of that caste. So when I was growing up in India, I have faced discrimination so much, especially my mother. She's an, an uneducated woman. Uh, she used to work in farm. The farm owner was higher caste. They never touched her because of she was from bottom of the caste. So the caste system exists in all sorts of level. So that's, that's if you like, that's uh, one of the form of discrimination is people even don't touch you because of you are from that particular caste. And caste system is still exist on every, every level in Indian society. Yeah, that's, that's something I could, uh, you know, summarize about caste system, really. And you experienced it firsthand and I think as we go through this conversation we will we'll be able to understand more about that and also why working with Karuna Trust is so important to you. I want to stay on that topic though. Uh Sudhika, you, you know, you you come at this from a different perspective. I mean the the caste discrimination is the same, but your perspective of it would be different. Why the discrimination and how how is it affecting the people of india and nepal i think it's difficult for a, for a westerner really to get their head around caste discrimination i think i'm you know i've been working you know going to india a lot over about 20 years and i'm still only really beginning to understand it because in a way there's nothing really equivalent in our in our culture for example um dalit people very very rarely own any land you know, so if Dalit people are working in rural areas, they're nearly always tenant farmers. And caste is very much linked to people's livelihoods. So people in the lower caste or the Dalit communities do jobs which are thought of as being dirty and polluting. And there's a kind of religious ideology behind it all, which makes people from the Dalit communities or labels people from the Dalit communities not only kind of inferior, but even kind of polluting, 
if you see what I mean. So, and and of course, you know, within the caste system, people aren't allowed to marry outside their caste. So caste will continue from one generation to the other without any, you know, without any opportunities for people to move from one caste to another. So, you know, it maps onto all kinds of things like level of education. It maps onto opportunities for jobs. It maps onto marriage opportunities, where you can live. So it's very, very sort of strict and very, very sort of all-encompassing. And, you know, many of the communities that we work with you know, you can travel in India and, and, and you know, stay with middle class people in the cities who are living lives very similar to the life that we're living. And yet you would go, you know, 40, 50 miles outside the city. You'd find people living in conditions that are, you know, to our to our eyes, more or less medieval, you know, very, very poor conditions. You know, so there's this real sort of divide between people and, you know, obviously coming at it as, as you know, from a Western Buddhist perspective you know you know a tremendous amount of suffering that's caused by the caste system sorry i've got i've got a dog in the background yeah it sounds like the puppy is wanting in on the conversation <laughs> i'll just uh, i'll just let her out <laughs> sangana let me ask you this and and i i get to ask the questions because i i'm learning right and i also know that the audience is learning too and so i may ask some questions that are very basic so forgive me for that but the scenario that is being described by both uh, you and Sudhika, is this exclusive to India? Is this also present in Nepal? I mean, I know those countries are right there together. I'm sure that there's differences, but is this an issue that faces both of those countries? I, I believe so. Um, the caste system is something uh, very difficult to overcome because essentially it's uh, in people's mind. It's deeply rooted in their culture and attitude. So, for example, if they move out from India, they will take the caste with them outside India. So, for example, even the caste system, the caste system and um, the attitude people will bring to the wherever they go go on. I never been to Nepal myself, but I can imagine, you know, uh, the caste system probably is exist there as well. Sudaka might able to give more answer on this one because he probably have been to. Uh, Nepal. Yeah, caste, caste is, is very much practiced in Nepal, particularly in sort of rural areas. Where, where Karana works, a lot of it's in the south of Nepal, which is an area that's quite similar to India, close to the Indian border. And in a way, many of the, the caste issues are the same between India and Nepal. Maybe one thing you could you can add to that is, along with caste discrimination i think it's sort of linked to caste discrimination i mean india and nepal you see very extreme forms of gender discrimination as well so girls being denied access to education um in nepal for example girls who are having their periods are expected to go and move out of their houses and live kind of in cow sheds because girls or women having their periods are thought to be unclean so You've got this idea of sort of religious or ritual impurity that some people or people in, in, in certain situations are thought of as being unclean or impure. And for that reason, they're, they're sort of pushed to the, to the periphery of things and not allowed to participate fully in, in activities. 
it's interesting that caste and gender discrimination tend to go very closely together in the areas that we work and we try and tackle both of those as much as we can this is the edge of adventure and that's the voice of sudaka he is head of programs at karuna trust you can find out more about them at karuna.org karuna.org that's spelled with a k and of course if you're watching the video version you're able to see that throughout the program being uh displayed on the screen. We're also going to, in just a minute here, we'll begin the part of the program where I get to show some photos from what Karuna is doing there in Nepal and in India. Thank you both for kind of helping me and the audience understand the caste system and the discrimination. Okay. I think it's context for what Karuna does. And I think it's important to understand that, or at least a little bit, so that we can now think about what Karuna Trust is doing and who they're working with and what a remarkable opportunity and a remarkable work it is to get to work with, with these precious people and to uh, help them in the ways we're about to discuss. So I know from my research that there are at least three key areas that Karuna focuses on education, livelihood, and gender equality. And I'm sure there's many other uh, aspects to that, but I think at least those three, I want to be sure we get into today. Uh, Sudhika, tell me about the education aspect of what Karuna Trust does. I mean, one of the things I mentioned earlier was that traditionally in India and Nepal, Dalits are denied access to education. So within the sort of traditional caste scheme, the idea was that the higher caste people would become very educated, would become experts, highly educated people, and that the lower you went down the, the, the caste system, the less access to education there was. So you've got communities who for hundreds and hundreds of years have been denied access to education and for whom still, you know, the opportunities for education are very, very difficult. And uh, there was a, in, the, in the 1950s, there was a, a great leader of the Dalit communities called Dr. Ambedkar who's one of the most important figures in, in modern Indian history. And he was the, the champion and the leader of the Dalit people. And he believed in a kind of peaceful revolution, uh, lifting up the Dalits and giving them opportunities to climb out of the, the poverty and marginalization that they'd been, 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 been forced into and to give them opportunities to, to integrate into the mainstream society and and his kind of central message was around education he was saying you know for these communities to change and i think it's probably true for downtrodden and disadvantaged communities the world over the the one main thing that marginalized communities need is access to education because if the next generation can get educated then there's a chance for them to start to climb out of the sort of vicious circle of poverty that they've been caught in and many of the communities that we work with most people are what we call daily wage laborers so in other words they have to work one day to be able to eat the next day so they're getting paid daily wages and of course you know people on daily wages are tremendously vulnerable because if anything happens you know if, if they fall out with their local farmer or i don't know the crops fail or their local factory doesn't need them to work the next day. If there's anything that happens, they just lose their 
incomes. So they're right on the kind of knife edge all the time. And through education, there's just this opportunity for people to climb out of that sort of daily wage economy. So, you know, if you get educated, then maybe you can get a role in a in a local shop or maybe you can get a job in a local office. You can do something where you're starting to get a little bit more sort of job security and a little bit more, I don't like to use the word status, but if you know what I mean, you, 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 you're, you're more able to do something that means that other people are likely to sort of treat you with greater respect. So we see education as being, you know, absolutely key in giving people opportunities to improve their lives. And, you know, for, for the 40 years that we've been working, many, many of our projects are helping people get an education. We've been running educational hostels for 20 or 30 years and we've seen people, people who come from, you know, very poor backgrounds, you know, they go to the hostel, they get an education, they're able to set up a small business or become a doctor or become a dentist. And then in the next generation, they, in a sense, have, have gained a degree of financial security and social respect. So in a way, that's, that's the way that we see education working in the context of our projects. That's the voice of Sudaka. He's head of programs at Karuna Trust. You can look him up at karuna.org. Also on the line, Sanganat is head of appeals for this organization. And Sanganat, I wanted to get your perspective too on the educational piece. How have you seen a difference made in someone's life through educational opportunities that Karuna has been able to provide? Definitely. I have witnessed Karuna's uh, first-hand uh, work when I was in India. I used to uh, work with some of projects as well. Uh, but uh, Karuna's one of project reached my village um, when I was a kid, when I was a child. And the project was focusing on teaching children, just firing their imagination, really. So that's how I come across Karuna in the first place. But also I used to live near uh, where Karuna uh, supported project called Hostel Project, Education Hostel Project, where children will come from a deployed area, from a rural area and stay there and educate themselves. So I have seen so many people educating through this project. But what I want to mention here really, as Sudhaka mentioned about Dr. Ambedkar, and um, Dr. Ambedkar essentially gave a very strong message to his followers like me. He said, educate, agitate, and be organized. And this message is um, really heard by his followers. And they're really thriving themselves. They're really putting themselves to educate themselves. Whatever opportunity they will get, they educate themselves. So growing up in India, in his community, from lower caste community, I have seen so many, my friends, family, just really um, put themselves, educate themselves. And because of that education, they have a better opportunities, they have voice, they have more knowledge, they can organize themselves and they can agitate, you know, if there is a injustice with them. So education, I would say, is key for us. And uh, what Dr. Ambedkar has given is uh, beyond our imagination, actually, Adam. I mean, I'm talking in front of you all because of Dr. Ambedkar. If Dr. Ambedkar wouldn't exist, I wouldn't have this opportunity to talk with you at all. So education is key, as Dr. Ambedkar said, but with that education, he said, be organized and educate as well. Turning now back to Sudhaka, as you guys have been listening, I've got two great guys on the line today joining me for the program. 
Sutaka and Sanganat. And they both work with and very passionate about the work that Karuna Trust does. And yet they have very different backgrounds. So we have some other things to ask. I'm going to ask some specific pointed questions about Karuna in just a minute. But especially since Sangana kind of drew this point out, let's talk about your each individual backgrounds, okay? And Sutika, let's start with you, your background, who you are, where you came from, and what has drawn you to Karuna Trust. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fascinating that, you know, Sanganath and I are really good friends. We come from such different backgrounds. It's almost like a miracle somehow that we've ended up on this call together. It's hard to hard to believe, really. Yeah, I mean, I had quite, quite a conventional upbringing, really, in, in, in the UK. I, you know, I went to a, a good school. I went to a good university. But I think in my mid-20s, I started feeling kind of dissatisfied with my life. And you know, through a series of events, I came into contact with Buddhism and uh, started meditating and finding out more about Buddhist teachings and just involving myself in the work of, of of the Buddhist movement here in the UK. And, you know, as part of that, I came across the work of Karuna Trust. And up until that point, I'd been working in the charity sector in the UK. I worked for groups like Oxfam and Greenpeace here in the UK doing fundraising work. So this was something that had always really interested me. And I was very, I don't know whether this will ring any bells for anyone, but I was very affected by, you know, the whole Live Aid concerts of in the 1980s. There was a big public campaign around the famine that had gone on in Ethiopia. So I felt, you know, very drawn into overseas development work and trying to work for the benefit of people who were, were disadvantaged in different parts of the world. So so everything sort of came together really for me But when I joined Karanar Trust because, you know, in a way it sort of joined up my interest in Buddhism with, you know, wanting to make a difference in the world and wanting to be involved in overseas development. And really through Karanar Trust, I came to find out more about, you know, the movement in India and Dr. Ambedkar, about the caste system and the... You know, we we talked then about the sort of the peaceful revolution, Dr. Ambedkar and his peaceful revolution in India, of the sort of the uplift of of millions and millions of people across India. And I think I also had a bit of a a connection with India because my father was born in India in the 1930s, right at the end of the British period in India. Yeah, my dad was actually born and he left India when he was about five. But I think I remember as a child hearing and tell me stories about India. So I think India's always had a kind of bit of a fascination for me. And of course, it's, you know, India's the country where, you know, all the Buddhist sacred sites are. So, you know, India's a very, very special, precious place for, for, for Buddhists the world over. So, so yeah, I, I really came to it through an interest in overseas development and an interest in Buddhism. And, uh, you know, the last 20 years have been a real learning for me about India and I'm you know I love India I think India is the most you know wonderful place and at the same time you know getting to know the situation in India you also get to see some really shocking and really you know appalling things as well so yeah it's got both sides to it you know wonderful and and you know appalling at times that's a um peek into the background of Sutaka, which is barely getting to, to know him. I mean, I know there's so much more to tell and just very fascinating story, but I wanted 
you as the listeners. I wanted you to have an understanding of who Sudhika is and how he comes to Karuna Trust. I think that's important for you to understand. And then also equally as important is to understand Sanganat and his background. And he's alluded to it a little bit, but uh, I'm going to give him the chance to talk a little bit more about it because both your background, Sanganat, who you are, where you came from, and what drew you to Karuna Trust? Yeah, so I was born in India uh, in uh, 1982. I was uh, grew up in a very small village of south uh, west of India. Yeah, and when I was growing up uh, in a village, uh, as I said before, you know, I was uh, I was born in a lower caste community. Uh, so with that, I faced a lot of um, difficulties uh, as well. But when I was growing up, Buddhism was very important for me. Uh, you know, Dr. Ambedkar, we talked earlier, he, he converted into Buddhism in 1956. And since then, he really asked his followers to take, you know, this religion on. If you want to change your mind, if you want to educate yourself, if you want to develop yourself, if, if you want to change a society, if you want to eradicate caste, you know, caste discrimination, you, you've got to change, change your religion. And that's I was uh, very much inspired by Buddhist values such as equality, fraternity, and freedom, as Dr. Ambedkar emphasized. You know, he drew from uh, Buddha's life. So when I was uh, in village, Karunas won a project reached in village, teaching uh, classes for children. That's how I come across Karuna Trust, and I really grateful for Karuna because uh, you know it's not easy to get opportunities like this uh, in the village or this uh, particular communities. And they reached to my village, that's why I was able to access, uh, access their opportunity or facilities. But more importantly, I think Karuna's connection with Dr. Ambedkar, because our Karuna's vision is um, deeply, deeply rooted in Dr. Ambedkar's vision and mission. So that's why I, I felt very strong connection with Karuna because of Dr. Ambedkar, yeah. And now I live in UK last 15, 16 years in Cambridge. And I feel so sometimes, sometimes very shame, really. People don't know very much about Dr. Ambedkar in UK. They know so much about Mahatma Gandhi, but people don't know very much about Dr. Ambedkar. And he is the greatest, greatest modern leader of India. Thank you, Sanganat. Every interview, every podcast is different. They're all different. And while obviously through every podcast, I have a an idea of what I, I want to accomplish. I want to get to know the people. I want to get to know the country and of course the work that the organization is doing. And, and those are all very important, but how we do that through the conversation is always different. It's always different. And, and today I'm struck by the uniqueness of this conversation. So this is, this is wonderful. And I'm going to get back to the livelihoods question and I'm going to get back to the gender equality, both of those being very, very important projects. But before we do, let's stay on this topic as I go back to Sudhika. You know, I come to the conversation as a Christian, and uh, what I know about Buddhism is limited, right? And so in a nutshell, again, it, I'm sure this is, you'll have to really simplify it. But Sudhika, what are, the, what are the principles that drew you in? What are the principles that Sanganat is referring to that Karuna is built on? And it's why this work is something that both of you are so passionate about. 
Well, I mean, B- Buddhism goes back to the teaching of the Buddha himself, Siddhartha Gautama, who who taught in India, in northern India. In fact, the Buddha was born just over the border in Nepal, in one of the areas where we we now work, and then he lived most of his life in this, the the area of northern India that just is on the border of Nepal, and he he attained. We believe that he attained enlightenment in his lifetime. Um, which is the, if you like, the completion of wisdom, and completion of the human capacity for wisdom and compassion. So he sort of explored and developed the furthest most reach of the human potential. And then for the rest of his life, he he taught the path that leads to the state of enlightenment that he'd attained in his lifetime. And so, you know, over the course of his life, he gave very, very detailed teachings which are preserved in the the early buddhist texts and and basically the, the buddhist teaching takes the form of a path where through following the path through following particular ways of life one can transform oneself from from being dominated by the reactive tendencies of greed hatred and ignorance to the well the full fruition of our potential for wisdom and compassion in this life and buddhism envisages the, the that completion also as the end of suffering so through as it were completing one's potential for wisdom and compassion one also comes to a state where one is free from suffering in this life in a way that's the path that the buddhist teachings lay out for us and a really kind of key part of that is what we call sangha or spiritual community so you know as a buddhist one's deliberately living one's life in a way that encourages and supports one's own growth and development spiritually speaking but also really treasuring and honoring our capacity to live together harmoniously in in community and you know one of the big links for for karana is that the buddha himself even though he taught two and a half thousand years ago, was critical of caste, ideas about caste, because in a way he saw that ideas about caste divided people from each other. They formed barriers between people and encouraged certain people to look down on other people and treat other people with less than than full respect. So within the original Buddhist community, people left aside their caste when they joined the Buddhist community. So Buddhism as a tradition in India and in South Asia has always been anti-caste. It's always been opposed to traditions of caste, traditions of separation and rigid hierarchy. So the Buddha always taught that, you know, the value of a human being comes from their own actions. You make yourself, you make the person that you are through your actions of body, speech and mind. And, and your your identity isn't defined by, you know, the circumstances of your birth, which which kind of layer of society you're sort of born into. So Buddhism in the Indian context has always had this kind of radical social vision, a much more egalitarian vision than what you get through the sort of traditional caste understandings. It's fascinating, it's fascinating how... People approach Buddhism in the West. Usually people in the West approach Buddhism because they want a way to deal with their own suffering. You know, people in the West tend to have a sort of psychological understanding of Buddhism. 
Whereas in my experience, people in India see Buddhism as very much linked to sort of a social idealism, to a kind of an aspiration for social change. That's also why I want to toss that same question to Sanganat and have his perspective on on the same thing, the principles of Buddhism and consequently the principles of Karuna and why they are so important to him. In India, you can't really separate India from religion. In India, you have to have some kind of religion. You have to have feel like you belongs to some kind of religion. So the India, is, you can't really separate religion from India. But for me, growing up in India, religion is was so important. And because of Dr. Ambedkar, he converted into Buddhism in 1956. He really emphasizes, you know, change every religion. Since childhood, really, I, I was drawn, drawn to Dr. Ambedkar's vision and Buddha's vision. And Dr. Ambedkar uh, really clearly said, he said, uh, the Buddha's religion is uh, based on equality, fraternity, and um, uh, liberty. And he said these uh, principles he hasn't drawn from French Revolution, but from Buddha's own philosophy. And, you know, you can understand people like me, people from uh, uh, the caste mentality and the discrimination, the equality is so important for us. And we could not get that equality in Hindu religion. And uh, fraternity and liberty also is very important. So this principle was so deeply rooted in Buddha's teaching, which is also, you know, uh, attracted to me to become Buddhist. But not for, not just only that, you know, uh, as, a, as a Buddhism really emphasizes on changing your mind and then changing society. So for to change my caste the conditioning, conditioning, also I have to work on my attitude, my, my mind as well. I have to transform my mind as well. And Buddhism give perfect kind of uh, tools to do that, you know, change my mind and also change people's mind as well for, for that reason. But as Sudaka said, you know, the way we operate Buddhism is more like social change. You are practicing Buddhism not only for your own development, but also you have to develop society, which is we really inspired by Dr. Ambedkar's vision and his example. He has really shown that, you know, you, you choose Buddhism not only because your own development, but for development of development of others as well and karuna is perfect perfect example for that you know karuna is not just um, helping people to change their mind but also helping people to give opportunity to educate right livelihood you know eradicate poverty and give education and women's empowering and so on so that, that's that's i can say really about um, how i see buddhism is changing We'll continue this remarkable conversation with Sudaka and Sanganat of Karuna Trust in just a moment, here on the edge of adventure. But I did want to take a minute and invite you to join me in the social community and mobile app called Rugged Compass. If you're looking to be a part of something more, a part of a community that values people, places, travel, culture, languages, kindness, and humanitarian work in this great adventure we call life, then you should definitely be a part of Rugged Compass. It blends the best parts of social media, podcasting, streaming, and live video, all pertaining to adventure and purpose, 
all in one app and community. It gives us the chance to share our journey and to share in the journey of others, to focus on the things that really matter without all the distractions, without all the division. Rugged Compass, available for iPhone and Android, tablets and iPads, even on your desktop in your browser. Look for it in the app stores and at ruggedcompass.com. It's the social media experience that takes us beyond status quo. Get the app, join the community, and make the journey. Ruggedcompass.com. That's ruggedcompass.com. Now back to my conversation with Sudaka and Sanganat of Karuna Trust, right here on The Edge of Adventure. This is The Edge of Adventure. My name is Adam Asher, and I've got two great guests today. Sudaka, who's head of programs, and Sanganat, who is head of appeals, both joining us from Karuna Trust. They work in India. They work in Nepal. They do a variety of things, and we're getting to know a little bit about each of those things today. And just the perspective on who they are, where they came from, what drew them to the organization, Karuna's principles, and the things that they hold dear as a group, but also individually. Let me go back to Sudaka now to fill us in on the livelihoods. You know, I think you guys call them dignified livelihoods. That's one of the ways that you work in India and Nepal. And tell me what that looks like. Yeah, I mentioned before that that one of the things about the caste system, the sort of tradition of the caste system, is that it maps onto livelihoods. So, I mean, I I guess a a little bit like, you know, medieval uh, Europe, families are associated with particular livelihoods and the expectation is that a child will follow their parents in terms of their livelihood so you have castes in india that are particularly associated with leather working for example or there'd be castes that are particularly associated with being priests or doctors so there's this association of livelihood with caste and if you're born into a particular caste the very strong expectation is that you will stay doing that particular livelihood for the rest of your life and these these livelihoods are kind of hierarchical so people from the dominant castes would tend to dominate the sort of higher status higher income kind of livelihoods so you know professional livelihoods and people you know in the in the oppressed caste the dalit castes would tend to be limited to low pay low dignity low cleanliness types of work in a way the types of work that nobody would freely choose to do so i mean for example we work with some communities in india that traditionally are called manual scavengers so their job was to actually clean out the human excrement from dry latrines and there's millions of people in india who who were born into these communities where in a sense their their caste destiny their caste duty is to clean up other people's toilets to carry the excrement in baskets on their heads so this is a you know quite an extreme example of a very very degrading caste occupation so, for example, with those, I mean, we were involved in a in a very, very inspiring project that uh, you know encourages people from those communities to 
you know, I just stopped doing that occupation, just refused to do that occupation. And then to go through a sort of training and rehabilitation process so they can learn other types of livelihoods, for example, making clothing or making incense sticks, something where they're going to be able to get a better source of income, but perhaps even more importantly, get an income from something which is, you know, inherently more dignified and ennobling. You know, with the manual scavenging, obviously, you know, they're carrying excrement all day, so they're, they're dirty, they, they smell, they're, they're treated, you know, very, very badly by other communities. They're, they're, they're seen as being kind of unclean and, and shunned and sort of pushed, pushed out to the kind of outlying areas of the village where nobody else would go. This is the kind of thing, and, you know, people have been living with that for generations and generations. One can only imagine how that would affect one psychologically to be in that kind of situation where you're constantly having these messages just reinforcing the idea that you're from, you know inferior you're, you're dirty you're polluting and there's nothing you can do about it you just have to carry on with that for the rest of your life you know it's it's a horrifying idea you know if you, if you start to think about it you know and yet you know through the kind of work that we've been doing the kind of work we've been involved in you know, people are coming out of that sort of background and learning new skills and learning to become, you know, leaders of their own communities. When at one point there was a there was an amazing um, amazing campaign organised by one of our partner organisations, where all the manual scavengers came to Delhi and they knocked on the doors of the um, the members of parliament. And you know, when they opened the doors, they asked them to to vote for legislation which outlawed some of the more extreme forms of uh, of exploitative caste occupations so there's many many examples of this but the gist of it is that we're trying to give people training that just enables them to step up out of that traditional caste-based livelihoods which are nearly always daily wage labor so they're nearly always very very financially precarious to give them just enough skills training to be able to step up into some kind of livelihood which gives them greater financial security and also this measure of dignity and self-respect and the chance to be treated with respect by people from other communities. And this is really the essence of, of what we're interested in and involved in as an organisation. You know, it's livelihoods, yes, it's helping people with their livelihoods, but with a very particular emphasis on it's about dignity, it's about human rights. It's about giving people the chance to live the kind of life of a respected citizen that people in our societies would, would normally take for granted. That's the voice of Sudaka. He is head of programs at Karuna Trust. You can look them up online at karuna.org. Sangana is head of appeals. And Sangana, I wanted to get your perspective on that, but also to start bringing into the conversation the question of gender equality and this theme, right, of dignity it keeps coming back in everything that you guys do, this provision of dignity and preserving of dignity and just sort of coming, I guess, into helping people to come into this awareness that they have that right to feel and be dignified. Sangana, let me turn it to you now for your comment, both on the, the livelihood question, but also the, the gender equality question. 
Yeah, I'll start with the gender equality. It's a it's an important issue, really, uh, because as as you know, as Sudhika said, um, the women discriminated, double discriminated in India. The first is where they come from, which caste they come from, and secondly, because of she's woman, so the she's double discriminated. And having this objective for Karuna to do something for women, it's very, very important. And um, this is something we are passionate about it and we really want to do it. I mean, I, I was growing up in India and I have seen so many cases of, you know, uh, the gender equalities and uh, why education is uh, important for women. You know, as we say, once women educate in our family, we whole family is educated. When I see my mom, you know, she doesn't have any education. She she's uh, she's discriminated because she's not educated. She's from bottom of the caste. You know, she's going to this farm owner because she's discriminated because of she's from bottom of the caste as well. So I, I'm sure um, Sudaka will uh, shed on more on education for women, women equality, uh, so on. But this is something uh, really important for me and my society and from for Indian perspective, education for women. Equality for women is so so important. With right livelihood, I, I think the Karuna way Karuna work in education, women's empowering and right livelihood, it's a really good package, if you like. Education is so important to expand our opportunities in the world. You know, people from bottom of the caste, they never had an opportunity to educate. If you don't educate, you don't have opportunities to thrive socially, economically and uh, on all sorts of levels. So giving that opportunity to people in India and Nepal will bring up so many different opportunities, not just opportunities, but some kind of confidence and dignity in them. Same with women's empowering, you know, doing something for that, uh, fighting for women's empowering, it's important. Dr. Ambedkar said, you know, he's famously said, if you want to measure the uh, development of your society, community, you measure how women are educated or how women are progressing in your society. So that's that's the measure, if you like. If women are progressing in your society, in community, that's mean your society is progressing. And with right livelihood, it's because not everyone can get opportunity to educate. And if you don't educate, you don't really get opportunity. So there's so many millions of people still remain in a right livelihood that defined by caste. And we need to challenge that, you know, we need to challenge that, we need to change that. As myself, I was growing up in India, I was one of the child labor when I was growing up in India and I have experienced how right livelihood even, even affected me as a child. And working with that sector is so important. You can gain so much freedom, you can achieve so much in India. So I think that that's something I could just add, really, if you add, uh, want to add more, Sudhika. That's the voice of Sangana, Head of Appeals for Karuna at Karuna Trust. And you can look them up online at karuna.org. And this has been a great conversation. We're kind of heading now towards the end of this particular episode. Sudhika, I wanted to take it back to you, though, and give you, first of all, of course, the opportunity to share anything that we need to say that hasn't been said. And... And we've, everything we've said has been important. Everything that's been discussed has been important. But please, let's be sure if there's projects for the future or you know challenges that you guys are facing right now, please be sure to bring them up. And also, what does Karuna mean? 
Karuna is a very, very beautiful word in Buddhism. It means um, compassion. It means having a, a love for other human beings, particularly in the context of wanting to respond to the suffering of, of others. So it translates pretty well as our word compassion, the desire to to want to help others, to alleviate the suffering of others. And in a way, we aim to be a kind of expression of that, although, of course, you know, very, very imperfectly. But, you know, we do try to, you know, our orientation is around responding to the needs of people who are in, in the greatest need uh, in those societies. And, you know, we, we work in the countries where we work, we work with the poorest communities and we, we try to ensure that our help is is reaching to those those poorest most disadvantaged communities I and mean, of course over the last year we've been very very focused on responding to people affected by coronavirus I mean, that's been a huge focus for our work over the last year and you know we've been doing a lot of you know emergency relief work distributing food packages distributing ppe medical supplies and again you know working through our partners we're able to get that help to the most, in a way, that the hardest to reach communities, you know, the people who are really on the periphery, who who need that the most. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, many, many people have been helped to stay alive as a result of the work that we've managed to do over the last year. And, you know, just, just a couple of things maybe to say. I mean, you know, from my point of view, one of the great inspirations and privileges, you know, is to do with the amazing people that we we work with in India. I mean, I've come across... Well, Sanganath, for example, is a very, very inspiring person, somebody who's made incredible changes and progress in, in, in his life. And, you know, many people are like that, both people who have made tremendous changes in their lives and also people who are incredibly courageously dedicated to social change. Something I really noticed that, that you know, some of the people who head up our partner organisations in India are just remarkable people you know people who are so committed have got such you know such integrity such a belief in trying to change things for the better and I, and I find that really really inspiring and you know some, sometimes if you look at the situations in India you know the populations are so huge you think oh no you know how are we ever going to make a difference to you know these kind of massive problems but you know you see people over the over the space of you know, 10, 20 years, uh, you see kind of generational changes coming through. You do see a whole generation of people who've been given those opportunities who, you know, have managed to educate themselves, have made a difference. You know, 20, 30 years ago, perhaps their parents were, you know, living in a slum in an urban area. They, you know, were daily wage labourers, you know, very much trapped in that kind of traditional caste matrix. And now, you know, 20 years later, their children doing something entirely different, you know, living lives of much greater sort of freedom and opportunity and, you know, much broader horizons, able to live lives that are much fuller and more satisfying. So I think, you know, it is really inspiring to see that process of change happening, seeing people able to sort of grow and develop and access opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have been able to. So that's the sort of magic of it for me. Sudaka, head of programs for Karuna Trust. And again, we're wrapping wrapping up here, but let me, let me kick it back to Sangana for any thoughts or anything that we've kind of left on the table that still needs to be said 
Sangana, I'll let you have that opportunity, but also just want to thank you for joining us today. As Sudhika has mentioned, in particular, your story is very inspiring. And I know we've only scratched the surface. We've just barely even talked about that, but it's enough to, to understand some of the challenges and barriers that you've overcome. And it speaks to many, many wonderful things. Let me let you have an opportunity to mention anything that needs to be said in the program today. Well, firstly, I'm so grateful to Karuna, be honest, because, uh, you know, Karuna's uh, project reached to my village when I was a child, and then I come across Karuna and I got benefit from them. Uh, so really grateful for them because they're reaching people like me, millions and millions of people, you know, they're reaching in India and Nepal. So that's one to, you know, uh, very grateful to them. Uh, second thing, really, you know, Dr. Ambedkar, I would I would say, you know, Dr. Ambedkar is bigger than uh, our organization. You know, what he has done in India, Nepal, well, particularly in India, is uh, in, incredible, significant. You know, no money, not many people knows outside uh, India. Please look up his name. And if you really want to find out about caste system, you know, we were talking about caste system and how complex it is to understand. I mean, Dr. Ambedkar's book on annihilation of caste is brilliant. It will give you thoroughly understanding about how caste system operates in India and another book called Caste in India as well. So I, I would say, just want to finish with this really my gratitude to this particular uh, two people at, uh, at this event. One is Karuna Trust and more importantly, you know, more importantly, Dr. Ambedkar, you know, because of his vision, his work, I'm exist, I'm exist in uh, talking with you. So, yeah, that's me. Very well said, Sangana, Sudaka. Any closing statements as we wrap up the show today? Right, just to thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to talk about our work. As I say, we, you know, I think, yeah, I always love talking about Karana's work and the amazing experiences that that I've had and the amazing changes that I've seen happening in people's lives as a result of it. So, you know, just thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to speak. Well, thank you both for taking the time to share your heart, to share the work of Corona Trust. And it's been a very educational and inspiring episode. And I would encourage anyone who has been listening and they think, you know what, this is something I want to get involved in or get behind or support, reach out to them at karuna.org. And Karuna is spelled K-A-R-U-N-A, karuna.org. And as always, if any of it gets confusing or you're trying to find the links, where's the video version? Where's the audio version? How can I find the, <laughs> the podcast on Apple or Google or Spotify or whatever it may be? What I've done to make that simple, including to find links to karuna.org, is you'll be able to go to theedgeofadventure.com and look on the podcast page. You'll find the corresponding post for this episode, and I have done my best to put it all there in one spot for you so you can enjoy getting to know Karuna and be able to get in touch with them and all those good things at theedgeofadventure.com. So, gentlemen, with that, we're going to wrap up the show. I really have great appreciation for what you're doing, and there's so much more to learn. We'll just have to have you come back on the show sometime in the, the future to talk more. In the meantime, carry on, brothers. I appreciate what you do and the heart with which you do it. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. 
To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure, where we go beyond status quo. Beyond status quo.